0: I'm Nick Harcourt and welcome to another episode of The Sound of Success, the podcast where we talk with movers, shakers and just plain cool people about music. Our guest this week is Ghanaian Australian musician Kofi Owusu-Ansar, known professionally as Genesis Owusu. When he was just two years old, his family emigrated to Canberra, where he immediately found himself an outsider and had to learn, as he says, how to be himself from a young age. His early efforts at music included collaborations with his older brother Kojo, who also releases music under the name Citizen K, before self-releasing a series of singles that led to his debut album in 2021, Smiling With No Teeth. At that year's ARIA Music Awards, Australia's equivalent of the Grammys, he won four trophies for Album of the Year, Best Hip-Hop Release, Best Independent Release and Best Cover Art. His follow-up, Struggler, is catching ears around the world and I'm happy to say we grabbed a little time in Los Angeles recently in the studios of my radio home KCSN. The first part of our chat was also broadcast on my radio show. My thanks to Tristan Dolce and Matt Blake for engineering. I started by asking what it was like for a toddler from West Africa, thrust into a very different world and growing up in Australia's capital city, Canberra.
1: Yeah. um, Strange, foreign, quiet, um, small. Uh, I think it's like around the time it was maybe 300,000 people or something like that, maybe 400. Right. Um, uh, I was like, me and my family were the only black people I knew. Um, So it was definitely like outsider status from from the jump.
0: Right from the beginning, yeah.
1: Yeah. But that turned out to be a thing that I learned to uh, turn into like a badge of honor and it kind of uh, growing up like that ended up molding like how i function and move through life in in all aspects especially with music as it is just a a form of expressing what my life is that outsider status has really shaped how i make music and just trying to push boundaries and and create something different a new experience but yeah growing up in canberra quiet but i learned The function, the greatest function of that was like, it it was like a blank canvas and that there wasn't a lot going on, but that just meant like, I can paint that canvas, whatever color I want at any time without too much noise or or distraction to to take away from that.
0: Well, you only know what you know as a kid, right? Mm. So if you're growing up in a place and you're surrounded by people who don't look like you, Mm. that's got to make you focus a little bit on yourself. Yeah
1: yeah it was kind of um it prompted me to learn who I was faster when your identity is so foreign to what the majority is you yeah I think you would question it faster you're like okay you know going growing up you know going to school uh a lot of the people like the only black people they knew at the time were like 50 cent and eddie murphy and it was like okay well i'm not like a gangster and i'm not a comedian (laughs) so where do i fit in who am i really um you know inside and outside of my heritage and, and dna so yeah i think it just it pushed that train of thought from a from an early age into finding yeah who I really was as an individual.
0: So how did you explore that? Did you explore that through your cultural history? Did you explore that through music? Did you explore it through uh, the written word?
1: Yeah, I mean all of that. I think creativity came into my life as a whole. It, it didn't come as like music or fashion or writing. It just came as one thing, and all of those. Different mediums were just kind of tools that functioned in the same way, but maybe if I had an idea, I would realize that, you know, maybe this idea would work better if I wrote it on a t-shirt and maybe this idea would work better if I wrote it in a poem or, you know, it, it kind of just worked like that. Um, so I explored myself through creativity. And, you know writing short stories and writing poetry and making music and doing clothes with my friends and stuff like that
0: so I know fashion is a big part of your your life and you you actually have a fashion line right
1: yeah something like that it it, it I've met a lot of my friends through creating clothes and it's it's it, it turned into uh the clothes that we wear on stage so we ended up just designing it and making those so we we don't um we haven't been making clothes for the public or anything like that but it turned into um, yeah, creating a little in-house unit where everything that happens on stage is like formulated by, by us.
0: So which came first for you, the written word, making t-shirts, for example, or music? What was your first creative
1: outlet? First creative outlet was short stories when I was in, in primary school. And what were you writing about? Just stupid stuff. <laughs> Just like the stuff like a kid. Yeah. write about like sci-fi, alien alien stories, aliens coming abducting superheroes but then it just yeah it it would function and move into expressing what I was living and that that came more into the play when I moved from short stories into poetry It it, it kind of gave me a way to figure out what was happening so like I would experience something and I'd have emotions and ideas but it was hard to really digest what those actually were until I ended up writing them out in a creative fashion and it helped me to understand myself better, which is why I, yeah, it kind of grew into an important thing for me.
0: Was it just a matter of time before music came along to help you tell those stories?
1: Yeah, I moved to music because no one wanted to read poetry <laughs> <laughs> no one wanted to read poetry, so i I gravitated to hip hop because. I just thought of hip hop as, you know, poetry with a beat behind it.
0: So, so what music was, was around you? What was the music, um, you you mentioned 50 Cent for example, (laughs) what was the music that you were listening to music around the house? I know your brother also, uh, performs as a, as a hip hop artist as well. Um, what was going on around, around the house musically?
1: Well, I was, I was surrounded by music around the house. Um, my mom was the leader of her church's gospel choir, um, my older brother, before he became an, a, a hip hop artist, he was really into like Red Hot Chili Peppers and, and Rage Against the Machine. And he was a guitarist. And um, he like had a, a bunch of like high school bands. My dad was, was just a general music appreciator, but also appreciated, but also like an appreciator, the arts I guess. So he'd just pick up CDs with interesting album covers. He wouldn't know what the music was. Yeah, it's a great
0: way to do it, yeah. I think. Yeah, he'd Just
1: pick up uh, CDs with interesting album covers and just spin them throughout the house. And then immigrating from Ghana, there was still a lot of like Ghanaian high life music in the house. Um, uh, Yeah, Bob Marley, Ray Charles, Michael Jackson. Yeah, and then me being the youngest, I was kind of the converging point for for all of those different things. So what was the first thing you created musically? The first thing I created musically was terrible first. (laughs) But it was the first real thing would have been a song with my brother. Uh, at that point he, he was, he would transitioned for, from like m- the more rock genres into, into hip hop. And he was producing, he, he'd hijacked our family, like computer room and turned it into his his own studio. Right. And he was producing and I'd always just like walk past and he'd try and throw me beats. Cause at the time I was just doing poetry and try and throw me beats. And I was like trying to move out of the older brother's shadow. So yeah, I was, yeah, always, nah, always rejecting it. right? and then at one point he he wore me down um and gave me a, a an instrumental he produced on this really terrible mp3 player that i got for christmas that i think was like you know maybe like 20 bucks or something like that and i wrote my first verse in a public bathroom when that beat came up on on shuffle um in a in a public bathroom and that's when i wrote
0: that just happened to be where you were or Yeah, that's just where I was. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I was just chilling. That's just where I hang out.
0: <laughs> you should point out that your brother performs under the name Citizen K. Yes. Okay, let's take it from there to deciding that this was something that you were gonna do with, with your life mm. um and making your your first recordings uh that ended up with
1: your with your first album, Smiling with No Teeth. So yeah, that that process of the first song i would have been in eighth grade maybe oh wow so um it just continued to be a thing that i um, was doing throughout high school right. just growing up right. and so in a way i kind of just like fell into it like i was making these tracks and then you know i, I hit puberty and it hit like a ton of bricks and i grew a huge beard at age 14. Oh God. so i was doing like these shows at like pubs and stuff with my brother when yeah. I was like 14 on school nights, he'd get ID'd. I wouldn't, um, <laughs> so I was kind of like living this double life, going through high school. Um, and I'd put out, you know, my songs on YouTube and, and right. SoundCloud and stuff like that. And back in Australia, we have uh, triple J, which is a youth national broadcast. One of, the, you know, most influential radio stations in the country.
0: Yeah. And it supports Australian music.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the mission. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah and they have um triple j unearthed which was like an online platform discovery gives, yeah, yeah. U- upload your music um and you know a bunch of people would listen to it and if they liked it then it would end up on the national radio station uh they have a competition every year called triple j unearth high where they listen to all the music from high school aged musicians and pick the you know the top songs in the country for for that year and just like, yeah, spin them um, nationally on the radio. And I got in the top five um, in my 12th year, in year 12. So by the time I was getting out of school, it kind of like I already had a, quite, you know, a bit of attention Yeah, and it kind of just felt like- I just, guess this is what I'm doing. This is just what I'm doing, yeah. yeah.
0: Was there ever anything else that you thought you might
1: do? No, nah, I always thought I'd do something big. I had no idea what that was. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea what that was, but I always thought I'd just like do something big. So when this opportunity presented itself, I just like, yeah, it just felt natural.
0: So tell us about that first album and then let's jump forward a couple of years to to the new one. Um, there's a organic growth through school, mm-hmm. um, through getting played on Triple J, through um, making your
1: first album.
0: Mm tell tell us about that
1: so the first album came out in 2021 so this the story I just told would have capped around 2015 so the six years in between was just starting out my career you know meeting my my manager and you know kind of just doing loose singles and EPs and stuff like that um but where I came from creatively storytelling and stuff like that. I always like yearned for a bigger platform to just make something expansive, tell a bigger story. Um, and I guess just working my way through industry maneuvers or whatever at the time it, it, I started out when it was already in streaming era, playlists, stuff like that. So I was seemed more focused on singles, put out a single every once in a while. Um, and it was more focused on, yeah, getting on playlists, getting on, uh, you know, getting played on radio and stuff like that. So it kind of was more focused on a uh, on a single by single.
0: A much more sort of immediate thing. Yeah. Make the music, release yeah. it, promote it. Yeah. Onto
1: the next thing. Exactly, but I was, I always loved albums. I always loved concepts. I always loved a grand like narrative from start to finish. And I kind of yearned to do that, um, which was where the first album came into play. Um, I made it with, a band of like ragtag, incredible musicians in their own right. Um, I'd never met them before either. I told my manager, like, just throw me in the deep end. Like, I like this, I like this, I like this. I I like working with bands, like help me put something together and let's just see what happens. So I met them all the day we started working on the album. Wow. And, um, you know, we met in this like den-sized studio um out in Bondi in Sydney. Love Bondi. Yeah and we worked for accumulatively six days. Wow. And we jammed for like 10 hours a day and recorded all the jams and then I went back and listened to all like 60 hours picked out the time stamps of the jams I liked and the whole first album is created from those gems.
0: That's amazing. Um, obviously, you gelled with these yeah, guys. It very easily could have been a chain of... Um, a- but the album came out smiling with no teeth. And, uh, well, it did okay. did okay. It did okay. <laughs> um, the Arias, which is the Australian equivalent of the, of the Grammys, you picked up four trophies, album of the year, best hip-hop release, best independent release, and best cover art as mm. well. And I would imagine that, when you get that level of attention, um, it's gotta be a bit of a game changer and perhaps buys you a little freedom for what comes next.
1: Yeah, I think definitely from a creative standpoint as well, because creating the album, um, I always created music just to my own standard. Like if I loved it and I felt challenged by it and I felt um, excited by it, then that was good enough for me, even if I thought no one else would like it. So I kind of just put out that album with that mentality in mind, so the fact that it was embraced so hugely by the, the Australian industry, um, it kind of felt like a, a game-changing moment culturally because I'd never heard an album like that be embraced in Australia by the Australian industry. Um, so I feel like it, it bought me and I feel like other artists in Australia freedom creatively because it, it finally felt like you didn't have to make this certain type of music to get recognized in Australia anymore. It's like, you can be weird and you can be free and you, yeah. know, you could just make it good. And eventually, yeah, people will come, come, come on board.
0: You know, one of the things that I told you when we first met is that, you know, when we play the music on the radio here, it stands out. I mean, I love all the other music we play as well, but, but it's different. Mm. Uh, and I can only imagine having lived in Australia many years ago, um, but understanding the Australian indie rock or indie music scene, um, that what you're creating, uh, really does stand out as, as,
1: as something, something different. It definitely felt like that. And it was the case. It was just like, whether that would be a good thing or a bad thing.
0: Yeah. Whether or not people would actually yeah. buy into it. Yeah. But in my, my experience is people are always looking for something new, something different. Mm-hmm. And, uh, clearly you found an audience yeah. there and. You started to find an audience overseas as, mm-hmm. as well. And I know you've been busy. Um, you were just telling me again before we started recording that you haven't really been home very much in the, in, in the last year or so. Mm. So let's jump to the new album. And first of all, I know you made it in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, but all those experiences in the last two years must be in the new work somehow.
1: Yeah. Yeah, in a kind of unexpected way. You know, I made that first album, we we're still going through like COVID times. So, you know, I did that album, we experienced COVID, I did a bit of touring after that, and then it was like time to make the second album. So that the experience from the last like however long since the first album, the last two years, it was it it influenced this next album in a kind of existential way. Um uh, being like I had to grapple with the idea of a, of a, a lack of time and like a time limit which I hadn't experienced before um, I felt like I'd put so much of my life into that first album and then it was such a short gap and now it's time to make the second album and the ho- the whole way I've been making art like I said before is just up to my standard it just has to be genuine and sincere and excite me and and make me feel challenged and stimulated uh so even though i knew i had to make a second album i couldn't just make an album for the sake of making it Mm -hmm. like it had to be sincere and genuine and obviously there was pressure from the first album doing so well but most of the pressure was internal in just that yeah like art means so much to me and it just has to be authentic and and real it has to come from somewhere, but I felt like a lot of the experiences had already been used. So it, it influenced the album by making me go out and f- reconfigure my mindset and the way I f- find inspiration and the way I, I look at life. I feel like I'd used all my real life experiences. So now I have to like maybe create a character and live their life or something like that. And like, you know, instead of getting inspired by other music, I'll get inspired by plays. We get inspired by books and art and, and things like that. Um, so that's how the, the last two years inspired the, this new album. Uh,
0: it's interesting you talk about uh, maybe finding a character in the notes I was reading before the, our, our conversation today. Uh, first of all, the album's called Struggler uh, and it's described as a, a narrative journey uh, that you state is a story about a roach that runs and runs trying not to get stepped on by God. Um, That's correct. Uh, maybe maybe you could open that up for me a little bit. Oh yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> Please. <laughs> um,
1: so I think on a personal level and on a universal level, I think we've just been living in such absurd times through COVID, through, you know, back in Australia, we had these, insane bushfires yep my house almost burnt down oh wow um you know moving forward to today I can go on my phone and go on TikTok and look at a war being live streamed and it's like very absurd and it kind of cemented I guess how out of control we really are in our circumstances which can be quite daunting and challenging but then I also looked at it from the perspective of yes all this is happening but we managed to wake up every day and, and make it to tomorrow even though in the grand scheme we're we're so small these little bugs these little roaches just like scrambling around but the thing with the is, it's, it's a hard thing to kill it's, it's you think you got it and lift up your foot and it's crawling around still like <laughs> apparently that's the roach is going to be the thing that survives the nuclear war you know right so that's that's kind of like like us be a roach yeah be a roach. (laughs) be a struggler you know like we're we're in this world that's so huge and so looming and so daunting and and that's kind of where the god character in the narrative comes in it's not any kind of critique or anything on on religion it's just the character that in, in is the metaphor for just the grandeur of the universe that we are in versus the comparative smallness of us but Despite having to go up against such a big, um, adversary, I suppose, we just managed to make it to tomorrow every time. So it's really like a subtext of celebration of like the perseverance and the stubbornness of the human will to survive.
0: Yeah. I think if you're, if you're not aware of how difficult life is, you're not really living it. (laughs) Um, and, uh, for for me, I get to the end of, end of every day, and I don't know who I'm saying thank you to, but you know, gratitude goes a long way for me getting through a day. Mm. And mm. then, as you said, getting up the next day, and here we go again. Yeah. But you made the uh made this album in L.A. and you told me you worked with a couple of producers. Tell us a little bit about the the time frame and um the time you spent in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, so I made this album in between touring the the last album, so it was, it's it's a much less linear story of like how it's created you know first album was the, had six days here to here whereas this one i had to kind of find the time and pockets between um tour stops so most of it was in la some of it was still back in australia and you know i just got i just used the time that i, I saw when i saw it mm-hmm. um but yeah i met some some crazy people out here jason evergan was a producer that uh produced I think three tracks on the album Uh, behemoth pop producer like to the likes of like Madonna and and Maroon 5 like level pop and you know he produced the first track Leaving the Light did you say devil pop (laughs) no I I didn't say devil pop but sure you can say that um
0: well, what did you say you I le- don't even level
1: level level oh, that God, level of thought I'm going down <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry um yeah and then we just uh, we got in the studio and I got to produce some some weird <laughs> weird freaky stuff right which, which was fun for him as well some other producers Mikey Freedom Heart Simon have all you know uh, Nate Campany and Kyle Shearer um, all worked on amazing projects in their own right.
0: How do you then put all that stuff together? Obviously working at different times, mm. different people, um, to to make something that feels like it starts somewhere mm. and
1: takes you on a journey and ends somewhere. So the thing with this album is I kind of went full circle. And before I even started the music, I wrote the short story, just like I did when I was a kid. Got it. I wrote the short story of, of The Roach that runs and runs and runs
0: interesting so that was already sort of there as pretty much as the bones of the project
1: exactly so the album kind of just became like after i'd written this story the album became what would this story sound like so when i went into every session i already had this narrative to to pull from and to lock the album together and it was like a it was a really interesting thing to do because so much of it was just focused solely on getting this narrative out of my head onto wax. And, you know, I might make a really cool song with them in the studio, but it was like, no, I need, to, this story is the most important thing to me. And I was just trying to make this piece of art that could stand beside like the the stories and the plays that I was reading up until that point, the, the, Metamorphoses by Franz Kafka and the Waiting for Godot by Samuel Beckett. Like I wanted to, to make this story, and that was like the most important thing for me.
0: I, I know that you also read um, Camus as, as well. Um, if you look at those three authors as as influences, mm. what do, what do you get from from those guys?
1: I think I love how they were able to take. The mundane nature of life, the absurd nature of life, um, the unexpected and the expected and just put it into a narrative that's just like so ridiculous. And I feel like there's like a a sadness and a melancholy, but also a, a dark humor in, in all of their works. Like Metamorphosis, for example, I read that and I, I thought it was so poignant when i read like the first few pages this guy that turned into a huge bug yep and back to the bugs back to the bugs and you know the first thing he thinks of isn't like oh man i'm a huge bug like what is going on the first thing he thinks is like oh damn how am i gonna get to work (laughs) like what's my boss gonna think i just thought that was like so hilariously on point with how we are living in such an absurd society like with all these crazy things happening we just managed to just keep a one-track mind and just like keep it moving and i think that was a quality that i appreciated in in all of those authors and creators they just like managed to take such a mundane and absurd at the same time essence of humanity and kind of show how ridiculous it is and and show how absurd it all in it all was in in such a creative way okay so let's get to the musical
0: questions Mm -hmm. what is your first musical memory i have two
1: and I can't remember which comes first, but um, I remember listening to Criss Cross with my brother. I think the big song was like Jump. Uh-huh. And they were like these two little black kids and they used to wear their jeans um, the wrong way around. So like the the back pockets were at the front and they just had a song. They would make you jump, jump, jump. What was, what was the other one? And the other one was having the michael jackson his his story dvd like the greatest hits album dvd and standing in front of the tv with all my cousins trying to learn the thriller choreography
0: so a little hip-hop a little pop music right there at the beginning yeah um do you remember the way it made you feel um it was
1: just fun i think both of those uh, memories are also connected to memories with my family and just community and um yeah it's just a memory that i share with them which makes it deep what was the
0: first music you
1: bought with your own money the first music i bought was a trap called quest record no in theory i bought the vinyl actually that that was the first physical thing i bought i think the first thing i ever bought was born sinner by j cole on itunes i was a big j cole fan i remember his promo took like he was thinking this was such a pivotal album for him. And like in the lead up tracks, he's like, if this doesn't go well, I might have to go back and work at the post office. I'm like, J. Cole, I got you. I'm playing like, your oh, album. You don't have to go to the post office, brother. I got you.
0: What was the first concert you went to without um parents or any adult supervision?
1: The first few concerts I went to were ones that I was performing at. So I guess I won't count those, but I've performed it. A, a few festivals and i saw some really cool people at different festivals but the first non-festival show i went to was um uh, Jesus' tour in 2014 in sydney kanye
0: can you tell us a, about that moment Probably. for you i mean that's what nine years ago like you are
1: 16 or something something like that um yeah it was incredible i was a huge kanye fan at the time unfortunately he's doing whatever he's doing now um <laughs> kind of a little, little over the edge. Yeah. Um, but it was like an incredible, uh, incredible show. He was just like it was everything I wanted at that time in a Kanye concert, playing all the hits and then going on like 15-minute rants in between, which is yeah. you know what you want to see. Played um Paris like six times, and every time he'd like Stop in the middle and tell the crowd, make a circle, make a circle. And then he's played the song again. And I remember him coming out in like a puff of smoke to someone doing the Sith Lord theme song on electric guitar. (laughs) 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 I just thought, like, this guy's like Houdini or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I did your head in, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you got a lot of different musical styles in, in the music you make. We talked about your poetry and we talked about hip-hop, but there's also funk and soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm interested to know, what do, you listen to, what do you listen to when you want to dance?
1: It depends what kind of dancing. I think generally I'd go to like Sly and the Family Stone or like Anita Ward. Yeah, like funk, disco. Style uh but like lately i've I've been very much wanting to wash, so I've been listening to a lot of idols, uh you know punk stuff yeah do do you
0: dance along? yeah, yeah, I do <laughs> so it's the best the best time really yeah, when there's great. nobody watching <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, go to practice for stage somehow <laughs> <laughs> what do you
0: listen to when you're feeling sad
1: King cruel big King cruel fan um yeah. His, a lot of his music has a lot of uh, melancholy to it, but also kind of like a, a kind of glimmer of, of hope in the mix as well, which I really appreciate.
0: Yeah, I often wonder when I ask that question, you know, because there's two different ways of looking at it, right? It's mm. like, you know, do I listen to something that really makes me mm. barrel into my sadness or do I listen to something that takes me out of it? And it sounds like you've picked somebody who gives you both yeah, options. Yeah, exactly. I like that. If you could only hear one song for the rest of your life, Mm. what would you choose? Mm.
1: Mm. That's a huge question. Like, Obviously this answer would change if I sat on it for like 10 more minutes, but off the top of my head, it might be like Prototype by Outkast, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, if it's the only song you ever get to listen to, it's it's gotta be something you you, you really like. (laughs) Let's stick
1: with that for now.
0: Okay, music videos you know, you came of age really after the glory days of music videos. Mm. I don't know how uh, steeped your own history is in that stuff, Mm. but if you had to pick a favorite music video from anything that you've seen from the past
1: or, you know, recently, Mm. what would you pick? My favorite music video is um, Nike's by Frank Ocean. And I think for a lot of reasons, I think it, i've i've always pictured how i want to create art and what i want my music to feel like both sonically and visually and i think that when i saw that music video i'm like that's it like that's what i've been picturing in my head for my own stuff and then at the same time there was also that huge anticipation for like i think he he had left us waiting for like four years or five years for, for that next album yeah he'd left us waiting and then he dropped a website where he was building a staircase for like five days and then he dropped that endless visual album and then everyone was like okay that's kind of cool kind of weird and then he dropped that nikes video and then the next day blonde came out and that was just like i was in high school so the high school memories are uh, you know always seminal and yeah so that i just remember that very clearly when you make
0: visual accompaniments to to your music Mm. What kind of process is that for you? I mean, I know that you, you want to make sure that everything that you put out Mm -hmm. represents the part of you.
1: When I started making art in general, it came as a whole and the different mediums kind of just acted as different tools for the same function. And in the same way to this day, like when I make a song, a lot of the time the video idea will come with it. Or sometimes even I'll have a video idea and then I'll be like, what would the song for that video sound like? And I'll make a song off that. And it's it's all kind of functions in the same sphere. I kind of like to think of things as a whole package. So yeah, I guess that's how it kind of functions. It kind of functions differently in the same but in different contexts. Like sometimes the idea, yeah, like I said, the music video idea will come first and the song will come after that. Or sometimes I'll only, you know, the reason I have such a connection with the song that I'm making is because I can see it in my head. Like I can already see the music video. I can see what I'm going to be wearing in it as well. And that, like, yeah, it
0: all kind of just comes in the whole So it's all kind of happening at the same time. Yeah. It? Simultaneously. Yeah. Um, do you have a recent musical discovery that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Mm. Well, let me see real quick. I do have one off the top of my head, but it's not... Extremely recent, um, and that is Eve Tuma. Um, I listen to a lot of Eve Tuma.
0: I don't know Eve Tuma. Oh, really?
1: Yeah, yeah. They're they're like uh, like glam goth rock. Oh man, it sounds like of, that. I like that. Yeah, it's hard. It's very hard to explain. Um, but I really like their music. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, if you haven't heard of them. Yeah, I'll let that be my answer. All
0: right. And for our listeners, that's Eve uh, Yves and then Tumor is T-U-M-O-R. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Uh, I'm going to listen to that myself and check it out.
1: Amazing.
0: Is there a band or artist that you love, but you feel that they've never quite gotten the break or the attention they deserve?
1: Yeah. I mean, most of that. Most of the artists I listen to that aren't like huge, I'm always like, they deserve to be.
0: Right. Um, Anyone in particular though, that you would say like, you guys should really get turned on to this.
1: Yeah. I th- there's one guy that's buzzing around in my head, but at the same time, his mystique is kind of part of the lore, Got which it. Is Dean Blunt, okay. uh, British musician. Goes by a, a lot of different aliases and and groups, Dean Blood being the main one, Baby right. Father. Yeah, a lot of different aliases. He's he's kind of like a MF Doom style character, not in the music that he makes, but in like he's hard to track down. You know, you never really know where he is, what he's doing, if that's really even him on the stage. But yeah, it makes a lot of different kinds of music, very laid-back, um, sample-heavy, and kind of just like. When you listen to it, it kind of is what it is, but it can also be a million other things. Check them out. All right. Two more questions. Do you have a musical guilty pleasure? No, I don't don't find guilt in anything I I
0: enjoy. And how are you feeling right now?
1: Yeah, right now I'm feeling pretty good. I'm having a good time um, talking to you. Oh, thank you, me too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm a fan, it's a a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much. Likewise, thank you. Cheers man. The Sound of Success is hosted and produced by myself, Nick Harcourt, for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klein. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple, sparknetwork.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.